we're going to be talking about a particular topic called, Is There a God? Is there a God? Now, you may already have this question already settled in your mind, and maybe you already know the answer to this, but sometimes when you look at the news and you see what's going on in the world, sometimes you go, is there really a God? Because there's so many crazy things that go on in the world, right? Has, has anyone, who's excited for political season? Anyone? No, okay, no one's excited for that. It's when the crazy people seem to come out, or maybe you're one of those crazy people, I'm sorry. But, but it's amazing how people get sent, start to get, you know, get on each other's throats, they get down each other's throats, they get on top of each other, and we start to see wild and crazy things in the world. Who thinks the world is actually getting better? No one's only one hand up there. Who thinks the world is going a little bit more nuts day by day? Yeah, there's more hands there, right? And it got to get to a point where sometimes you go, is there really a God? Is God even real? Is he a good God? And if he is a good God, why does he let bad things happen to me? Maybe you have all these answers. Here's the thing, I'm a pastor and I still ask questions about this. Not because I'm trying to doubt my faith, but simply because I think it's good to keep asking better questions about who God is and what we're meant to do about that. So let me tell you a little bit story about where I come from. And I'm gonna show you a picture of my family when I was five years old. There we go. See, I've got my family of four, and, and, and so let me just quickly walk through this. Here's my father, who's a cross between groundskeeper Willie and Abraham Lincoln. And, and he was a marine engineer, right? A marine engineer, he, he used to design ships, and then one day he decided, I'm gonna become a pastor, right? That's the way to wealth and riches, right there. Right? So he becomes a pastor to the point where he had this very kind of cutting edge church. And, and I don't know if you remember the movie in the 1970s, it was called uh, The Exorcist. Well, he decides to go down to the movie theater and stand outside the movie theater and hand out flyers saying, if you were disturbed by this movie, give me a call and I'll pray for you, right? Because he wanted to tell people more about God. And sure enough, he got phone calls. He ended up in the newspaper called The Dundee Exorcist. <laughs> Groundskeeper Willie was The Dundee Exorcist. Brother Abraham right there, groundskeeper Willie. In fact, I, when I was a child, I remember asking, but around about this age, I remember asking him and my, and my mother, hey, Dad, where did I come from? And he looked at my mother in the eye and he goes, I gave your mother an, a magic carrot. And I swear that works on so many different levels, right? I gave, I gave your mother a magic carrot. And so when I was a child, I thought I came from a carrot in more ways than one. My mother, my mother was a very good mother. She worked hard. She was also a tough mother. I like to think of her as the Judge Judy of my family. And she was really into this new thing called uh, bowl cuts, it seems. Right, put the bowl. And if any of you kids don't really know this, you'd, what they used to do in those days, they would take a bowl from the kitchen, turn it upside down, put it on your head, and then cut the hair that was below the bowl. Did anyone get those, blow, those bowl cuts? Telling you, I think we should bring that back into fashion. It was the precursor to the Flowbee. Anyone had the Flowbee? No, you don't even remember that? There's my mother there. I mean, she's an absolutely wonderful person. She really was. But here's me right here, front center. You can see where I got my style from. And I'm barely wearing those shorts, it seems. And I remember, I remember a good family, right? We didn't, we didn't have a ton of money. Um, I mean, I, I didn't realize we were a pastor's family. All I knew was my mom and dad used to run a church. And I didn't really know that he used to be an engineer. And, and, and everything was quite wonderful. Everything was. And I think everybody has a blend in their childhood of what was good and what was bad. 
And some of the things I remember that was bad, you know, when, when we actually, <clears throat> we used to help a lot of families and we would bring families into our house and we'd bring families into our house to kind of help them because they were going through difficult times. And I remember one family and the older boy used to be in my bedroom and he abused me, right? And so, so everything wasn't perfectly hunky-dory when I was a child. In fact, around about this age, I even remember walking along a street, and in those days, they used to let their children walk by themselves along a street. I remember being asked by this older man, hey, could you, could you reach something under my car seat because my hand can't quite get in because my hand's too big. And so he reached under and he couldn't do it. And he's like, could you, there's something just under there. And as he was there, he tried to bundle me into his car and I could just tell you he was probably trying to uh, uh, kidnap me, right? And I remember wriggling and fighting and screaming and I just ran away and I looked back on it and think, wow, I had this wonderful family, but I had bad experiences in my life. And maybe you've had something similar too, where you've had some good things that happen in your family. And maybe, maybe you're wondering, okay, Pete, why are you telling me all of this? Because to answer the question about, is there a God? You have to understand that you were born in a context. You're not born as a blank slate. You're born with a whole bunch of experiences and these experiences affect your beliefs. I was born and raised to believe in God, but as you get older and even myself, there's a tension between what was taught to me versus what I experienced. I don't know if you're with me on that one. Or maybe you've been taught that there is a God and you believe in God and maybe you love God at one time, but then life happens to you and you have experiences and you can get to the place when you're older and you start dropping your faith. When I say dropping your faith, I just basically mean you're not living like you believe in God anymore. Maybe psychologically, maybe uh, um, uh, academically, you would say you would believe in God, but maybe some of your friends have fallen away from the faith and they don't really uh, follow after God. They're not a part of the community. I never even wanted to be a pastor myself and I saw my friends kind of fall away. And here I am in my teenage years wondering, what do I do with this now? Do I really wanna be a part of this? Do I really want to be how, how this works? Have you experienced, your past experience affected your discovery of truth as well? One of the things my dad said to me when I was younger that I think makes a huge difference. He said, you know, sometimes instead of looking for perfect answers, maybe you should learn how to ask better questions. Maybe you should learn how to ask better questions rather than always demanding the truth or demanding knowledge of how everything absolutely works. And so today, I want to take you through a journey of asking some better questions here this morning. And I want to look at an anchor verse that is a very anchor verse for most Christians. And you've probably heard of it, John 3, 16, right? You all know it because of the guy who holds the sign, you know, at football games. You ever seen that? There's always a guy holding the sign saying John 3, 16. And you could probably quote it back to me. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most of you could probably quote that scripture. Most of you probably know it off by heart, but it begs three questions for me. For God, okay, who's God? What is God? Is there a God even? So loved, loved, he loved the world. If he loved the world, why did he let so many bad things happen to me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if any of you have a Christian background, if you don't, the story goes on as we understand it. Uh, uh, when you read the scriptures of the New Testament and the gospels, it talks about how Jesus was the son of God who became human like us and then died on a cross for our sins. Maybe you know that, maybe you don't know that. But why did he actually have to die then? Why is it that God decided, you know, I love them so much, I want to give them my son. 
So let's look at the first question. The first question is this. Is there actually a God? John 3, 16, for God. We have to assume that there's a God. We have to find if there's evidence of a God, not proof of a God, because proof means you have to duplicate it and be able to show that it's true, but evidence that there's actually a God. And I want to give you four four. Four things that I came up with as I grew up to discover why I decided I'm going to now keep, I'm now going to believe in God for myself. And here's the first evidence that I found: that order and design point to an intelligent mind. Now, I'm not, of course, going to give you every answer or every understanding about how this actually works, but I can give you an example. Last uh, two weeks ago, I went for an eye operation. Right, so the little eye operation. One of my glands in the bottom of my eye had gotten blocked up, and the doctor says I'm going to have to scoop it out. And I'm like, like ice cream? And he's like, well, kinda, if you want to think of it like that. And so what he did is he pulled down my eye, and he gets a big needle, and then he jams it right down in the skin underneath. And then you know, it's like he's got to freeze, and he goes, this is going to sting a little, and I screamed like a little girl and he's like only three more to go <laughs> so now he's got it and he's prodding my eye and he goes you feel anything and I'm like I can't feel my toes never mind my eye and so so then he puts this clamp on my eye and he ratchets it open open wider and wider and then he gets a big kind of tool and he kind of scoops out the gland and then what he does is he gets a big hot iron and then he welds the thing shut yeah does your daughter do that my daughter did that wasn't fun And then I thought, I wonder what my gland does. And I looked at, you know what the gland does? You're probably like, it secretes water. No, it secretes oil so that the water doesn't evaporate too fast from your eye. No, that seems amazing. Maybe evolution made that happen. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But then you look at the eyeball and like, how is it possible that the eyeball came into being just through evolution? Listen, what I've discovered in all my studies is that world, even world-renowned scientists have started to question macroevolution. Has it really come about? Is it true? It's a little bit like trying to explain someone, <clears throat> this, this message on the beach that says, Johnny loves Jenny, and we go, that's evolution. No, there wasn't an intelligent mind that did that. It's just one thing led to the next and then, and then uh, 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 soil erosion came about and it wrote this huge uh, message on the beach that says Johnny loves J- Jenny. We would never believe that. We would never accept that. And yet we accept that somehow the, the, the language of DNA suddenly came about just by evolution. This is the difficulty that I have with this. That I discovered as I went more and more into it that I firmly believe there's an intelligent mind behind everything of the universe that is in order and it does have an intelligent design. If you read the scriptures, maybe you don't subscribe to the scriptures, you don't don't believe what it says, but in Genesis 1.1 it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you might be thinking, but come on, it said that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Maybe six days, maybe six millennium. I don't know. All I know is it's telling me there was an intelligent mind behind it. Now I can tell you, if you look at your phone this morning and you want to check when the sun goes up and the sun comes down, it'll tell you the exact time when it happens. But you know the sun doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. Right? The sun is stationary and we go up and we go down. Right, That's what happens with the earth. And yet we look at it and we don't go, does the sun really go up and go down? No, the point is there's something, it's pointing to something behind it that's called the sun, which is true for us. I'm not saying that the scriptures describe everything perfectly. All it's doing is it's telling us there's something bigger and greater behind everything that's going on. Amen. That's what I firmly believe. The second, the second evidence that I've found was this, that life comes from life. You can't have life come from non-life. 
Everything can't come from nothing. Even if a revolution is real and to some degree, it must come from somewhere because you can't have an infinite regression of evolution. It has to come from a beginning or from something. Even Bill, Bill Nye, the science guy, I heard him recently say that he believes that aliens seeded earth with the life that is actually here on earth. And I'm like, you believe in aliens? This is awesome. Those must be the gods then that created us. That must be what's true. But how did these aliens come about? Oh, it's the multiverse, the multiverse. The multiverse basically means there's millions of universes out there and we don't understand it and they're all just experimenting until one day it creates life. And I'm like, but where did they come from? Something eternal has to exist. Life can't come from non-life, it must come from life. In Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. Now again, is that a perfect description of what happened? I don't know. But we were made in the image of something. We came from somewhere. God's life, the source, produced our life. Whatever God is or whoever God is, you came from that. And that tells me I was made on purpose. I was made for a reason. We're not just cosmic accidents as I see. The third thing that I've found in the evidence, the third thing out of four is moral absolutes. This is a big thing for me, is when I discovered that moral absolutes are really interesting. I love it that most people believe in relative absolutes. That basically means that what you believe is what you believe and what I believe, what your truth is your truth and what my truth is my truth. Yeah, that's true until someone else's truth punches you in the mouth, right? Then you end up on Judge Judy and having to look for justice or something. Even the word should, should tells us that there's some moral absolute that we are appealing to, a standard outside of ourselves. You should not hit me. You should not kill. You should not steal. Peter, you should not wear those extra shorts, these extra tight shorts, right? Then we have, now maybe you're like, okay, maybe the should thing, but if someone else's truth is different from your truth, then what we say is, well, I appeal to society truth, right? We've all agreed on what is right and what is wrong. We can't appeal to societal truth. Why? Because if we appeal to societal truth, then we can't condemn Nazi Germany. They all agreed that it was right to kill Jews and to kill uh, 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 homosexual people and to slaughter people who were handicapped and disabled, right? We can't appeal to ourselves. We can't appeal to society because we really can't trust it. There must be a greater truth outside of it. Who do these innate moral absolutes come from? I believe it's some moral giver. Some moral lawgiver is giving us the truth. And it says here in Romans 2.14, When outsiders who have never heard, outsiders is people who don't believe in God. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. Then it goes on, it says, they show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. Woven into the very fabric of our creation. What is it, what's that saying? It's basically saying we're designed to believe and to know and to appeal to some sort of moral law. Even babies do it when they're, when they're young and uh, when, when they're, they're very young. The fourth evidence that I came across as I was asking the question about, is there a God, is this. Um, Somewhere, oh, it's not there. Where is it? It's somewhere right here. There we go. Um, Is Actually, no, I'm skipping it. I I missed it there. The The fourth thing, the evidence that I found was the evidence of love. And the evidence of love is if there is no God, then we're just a chemical reaction. 
were just chemical reactions, having chemical reactions with other people. Even Stephen Hawking believes that, and he says that we are pre-programmed to make choices. Essentially, we're cosmic robots. We're not making our decisions. Our DNA are making our decisions for ourselves. And if that's true, then you can't tell your wife that you love her. Imagine if I was telling Crystal, listen, I would love to say that I love you, but really my DNA is pre-programmed to bubble up these juices that I feel about you, and that's why I want to chase after you. That's not really love, is it? You would even have to admit that your parents didn't really love you. They were just trying to create self-preservation for themselves. But I don't believe that explains what love really is. Because I do believe there is something of empathy within ourselves that is outside of just our DNA. And I've got friends, uh, the Ramirez's, who decided, they've already got children, and they decided that they fell in love with this child on the other side of the world in India, in the middle of the mountains. And they spent thousands of, of, of dollars, they spent thousands of miles going after this young girl, got to the mountains and found her, and she was, she was uh, physically disabled, and she was emotionally disabled. She had been rejected as a child. Why would he spend so much time going for a child that does no benefit for them? That's called love right? How do you explain this love if we're just cosmic, if we're just cosmic juices that are you know, in a soup that is just floating around the universe? How do you explain that? Love is an emotional thing. It's a physical thing. It's a real thing. I believe it's a spiritual thing. So why then, if God loves me so much, if everything is so wonderful, if why then, if God so loved the world and he loved us, why would he let bad things happen to me? Why would he let these things happen to me when I was a child? It's simply because of this. Love requires freedom of your will. Love requires freedom of your will. If God stopped all the bad things happening to me, he'd have to stop me as well because I choose bad things too. If I don't have a will, then I'm a robot. To have relationship, there must be trust. There must be choice involved. Now, you could say, well, God, it's not that I want you to stop me. I want you to stop all the bad people doing bad things to me. I, wanna, I want you to stop the others for me, right? Here's the problem. You are the others to someone else, right? You ha God would have to stop absolutely everyone. And if there is no God, then you're just a sack of chemical reactions, otherwise known as a teenager, right? So... <laughs> In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did his son die then? So it says this, going back to our, our anchor scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why would he actually have to give his one and only son? If he loves me so much, why does anyone have to die? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the TV program called Judge Judy, right? If someone comes in the door and they do something wrong, then she gets onto them and then she hands out justice, right? What she does is if you've done something wrong to the other person, she goes, pay the man, right? That's what she says. All the time, I love that. Just a few weeks ago, we had a fender bender and I had to pay out a pocket in order to pay for their car to be fixed. Why? Because it was my crime. It was my infraction. I did something wrong. And then just a week later, someone backed, out, backed up and bumped into my car, put a big dent there and drove off. Guess what I felt? I felt a feeling of Judge Judy coming upon me right there, right? I wanted them to pay the man, right? When there's an infraction, when there's a stepping of line, when you break a law, you have to pay the man. Now you might say, yeah, but Pete, I'm a good person. I don't think you've met me yet. I'm a good person. Great, I'd love to measure that. Have you ever lied before? 
Have you ever lusted before? Have you looked at something you shouldn't look at? Have you ever stolen, regardless of what size it is? You might say, yeah, I've done all those things, but then I'd have to ask you, how small does the sin have to be before it turns into something big? Where does it begin? It starts off small and it gets bigger. Yeah, but surely God could just look over that and just let it go. No, he can't because it's like an infection that starts to grow inside of us. We're not, as you want, I want to make this clear, we're not as lovable as we think we are. For God so loved the world though. He loved the world. We're not as lovable as we think we are. So then why would God give his son? Well, the scripture says it's because his son was perfect enough to pay the man, to pay the price, so that we didn't actually have to pay for it. Now, do I understand it entirely? Does, do I, am I completely clear on it? Not exactly. I, I think I understand it and I get the concept behind it. But my point of when I, had to, when I had to make a decision with this is am I going to trust that or am I not going to trust that? I don't have a better deal on the table when it comes to God. I can't go, hey God, hey, I've got this better. What if I give you this? What if I give you that? What if I give? It's never going to be good enough. That's why we believe that Jesus gave his life for us so that we don't have to end up paying the man. So if God did die for us, if Jesus did die for us, and it wasn't because we were so lovable, what's it about? I believe it's because it's like a $100 bill. Who'd like a $100 bill? Anybody? In this inflation economy, a $100 bills is worth a dollar now, right? It's amazing how you need an extra $100 just to go for, for, for $20 of grocery shopping, right? You're no longer buying Oreos. You're basically going to Aldi's to get chocolate sandwich cakes, right? Because they're cheaper, but they don't taste the same. They cost $100. Oh my gosh. Can't believe the cost of everything. It's not like your salary is going up the same rate as, as, as inflation, the cost of food as well. But this $100 is a good example of what God thinks about you. You see, on $100, it basically shows that there is a promise behind this. There's a promise stamped on it. But this $100 is something that I believe is like us, where God has, has put us into circulation. He's put us into the world. And now we're being used whichever way or abused, whichever way that the world is now deciding to interact with us. You see, a dollar could be used for good things. It could be used to try and save a child. It could be used for, for, for a strip club. It could be used for... Uh, 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 for, for buying drugs. It could be used for human trafficking. It could be used for something and anything nefarious. And this, even this dollar could be treated badly. It could be thrown on the ground. It could be stamped on. It could be uh, put a whole bunch of crap upon it. It could be rejected and told you're a piece of nothing. You're just a piece of paper. What are you but a piece of paper and ink? There is no value to this piece of paper when the fact is there's a promise upon it. God didn't die for you because you were lovable, but because you were valuable. And there's a huge difference in that. He is, you were made in his image. And so therefore, that value is what he wants. That's why he's willing to give himself to come and find us once again, because the value has been imprinted upon ourselves. It took me a long time to realize that God valued me. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to go down that path again of experiences that I had when I was a child. But now I can see as I'm looking at myself as a child going, I can see the value that God had imprinted on me. Because at the end of the day, you're made on purpose for a purpose. You weren't just a cosmic accident. You're made on purpose and you're made for a purpose. 
And however that looks like, whatever that materializes itself, you're not gonna get to the end of your life and go, I'm so glad I made so much money. I'm so glad I made myself so rich and I made myself safe and everything was perfect and wonderful. No, you're gonna say, I'm glad I got to the rest of my life and I lived out my purpose for God. What is your purpose? Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you're still struggling with trying to figure out what is that answer. I love my friend Gary who started coming to the church and he used to be an atheist and he said, now I'm an agnostic. And I said, then what are you doing here? And he said, because I see people in this building who have something that I want. Sometimes you don't have to figure out the perfect answer. You just have to learn how to ask better questions. I think it's worth finding out. I found my purpose and I hope that someday you'll find your purpose. I think it's worth asking better questions. So let's stand this morning as we end our service. And I'm gonna say a very short prayer for you. And if it's something that you think you agree with, you can say amen to it. You can say, yes, God, that's my prayer. If it's not something you wanna be a part of, that's fine too. But you have to find your next steps. Even if you were brought up in church, even if you know what you think the answers are when it comes to God, you still have to figure out your next steps to answering the questions, the better questions of God. Who are you and what do you want from me? Father in heaven, we wanna thank you for the opportunity to come together today the opportunity to have the freedom that we get to sit beside friends and families and, and we get to hear about your word. And I pray, Father, for all the junk, the context that has, that has defined our lives, I pray that it would no longer define our lives for the worse, but it would, define, it would help to define our lives for the better, that it would drive us towards the question of what am I here for? What am I meant to do? And Father, for those who are, are, are want to admit you for the first time, I pray that you would forgive us for our infractions against you, for our sins against you, that we can be free from those things, these things, and we can be released to have a relationship with you. And Lord, we want to just say, show us yourself. Show us through the evidence of everyday life, through, through our neighbors, through nature, through all the things that are around us. Show us yourself so that we can discover what you've made us for. And we ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.